freshmen in the middle of the mall. Hands on hips, eye rolls, snotty tone, led to a systematic breakdown in the extravagant funding of shorty shorts and wonder unders. Now for those of you parenting the under four set, this is a graduate level display of the ubiquitous cookie aisle meltdown play. I never judge. Well, I never judge the parents. They may be exhausted, they may be embarrassed or exasperated, they may be running late or feeling guilty, or they may be terrified their children will dislike them or pull away. Most of the time, I want to plunge my fist high in the air and evoke Spartacus or Churchill or that coach from the movie Hoosiers. Don't cave. Stay strong. You've got this. But most of the time, I just give a knowing look or a whisper that says, we've all been there. Unfortunately, the teenager busted me giving the sympathetic mom face, and she was mortified, and I actually felt bad. And why didn't I offer her a look of solidarity? Haven't we all been there too? None of us are really our best selves when we feel misunderstood or buckled into the card or endlessly pushed around at the whims of whoever has the power of making decisions. And so say what you will about this younger son, but nobody really knows where things went wrong. Maybe the father was a big softy. Maybe he was just overly indulgent. Maybe he was too protective or controlling. Maybe he finally gave up trying to protect the younger son from the inevitable consequences of his greed or entitlement or foolishness or the unexplainable emptiness that he just couldn't quite fill. But by the time it was said and done, the younger son managed to disregard, insult, risk, waste, or offend every good thing he encountered. Now here's the deal. Land ownership in first century Palestine provided stability and security. And technically, the estate could be sold before the father died, but whoever bought it could not possess or work the land until the father died, which is probably what happened in this case. The father hands over the estate to the boys, and according to the law, the older son would have gotten two-thirds, and the younger son would have gotten one-third. And then in a cookie aisle, Lululemon sort of exchange, the younger son does not say please. He shows no deference or love or gratitude or respect. Instead, he turns a quick deal and he makes a cheap sale and he takes what he can and he hits the road and he does not look back. It says he went to a far country where he recklessly and wastefully spends his wealth on extravagant living. He gives it away. He spends it freely, which is exactly what the word prodigal means. But nobody really, really knows why. He's managed to separate himself completely from his family, his faith, and any hint of who he has been. All of those expectations and responsibilities and rules strapped in and pushed around. Even if he needed to figure some things out, even if he had felt trapped on the farm, even if he did need space to explore his identity, the consequence of his selfishness were far greater than the pigs 
in the behavior in the empty belly. Before he even left the farm, he implied that he'd rather his father be dead. And in so much, he risked the security of his family. He diminished the well-being of every person who worked on that land, not to mention the social shame and humiliation his, his family would have endured would have been profound. But we don't really know where things went wrong. For the most part, parents do the best they can. He wasn't kicked out. He wasn't forced out. He was known and loved and cherished and protected. And for the most part, kids and teenagers and young adults, they do the best they can too. And as much as we like to analyze all the problems and issues of the younger son, let's just face it, the older son is not much better. He's judgmental. And for the record, the older son had no idea what his brother blew his money on. He made that part up about the sex workers. The older son is entitled, he's snarky, he's resentful. He already owned two-thirds of the estate. He could have bought his own kid if he wanted to. And yet he refuses to go to the party. I mean, who can blame him? He's been watching this manipulation for years. But the patient father comes out to find him. And in that moment, the older son says disrespectfully, this son of yours left me to do all the work, he left you for dead, and he threatened the security of our entire family, made a joke of our reputation, and so, no, Dad, I'm not going to that party. It is much easier for us to focus on the younger son, to blame him, to analyze him, to diagnose him, because the older son is making a pretty valid point. It's not fair. I mean, honestly, who wants to go to that party anyway after we see what this younger son has done? He doesn't even seem that remorseful. But if you want to talk about ridiculous extravagance, if we're going to talk about anybody that's prodigal, perhaps we should just turn our attention to the father. Does the father sacrifice his own security and reputation and well-being? Yes. Does the father prevent the son from leaving? No, perhaps the ultimate act of love is letting go. Doesn't the father's heart break a million times over? Doesn't he lie awake at night with the list of what ifs rolling through his head? Doesn't that father console his wife in her grief? Does he not remember when the boys were young enough to hold his hand or ride on his shoulders on their way into town? Doesn't that father pray to God incessantly for his son's safe return? So does the father care why his son comes home? No. The younger son comes back because he's hungry. And the younger son works out the entire stick in his head like we all do when we're desperate, sugar-coated half-truths, snappy comebacks. He rehearsed it. Okay, I'm going to say I'm very sorry, and I have sinned, and I'm not worthy. He should have stopped right there, but it doesn't really matter anyway because he never even gets the chance to explain. Because the true prodigal, the true, the true extravagant spender is the father. And the extravagance is so, so, so overwhelming that it's offensive. The love and the grace 
pours out of the Father in the most unusual and uncommon way for a wealthy, noble man. He recognizes his father from far away, runs through the village, hugs and kisses him, transferring the son's public shame onto his own shoulders for everyone to see. Does he demand an apology? No. Does he shame him? No. Does he expect an explanation? Does he blame him? No. His boy smells like a pig. He's barefooted like a servant. He's dirty and starving. Oh, the neighbors are watching now. Maybe he's going to make him wear a sackcloth. Maybe he'll rebuke him. Maybe he'll make him grovel or promise to pay it back. But no, none of that. Bring the royal robe and the ring and the leather sandals and the fatted calf. Play the music. Start the dancing. Any parent who has lost a child for a day or for eternity fully understands this sort of extravagant love and grace. You know, it's never really about the money or the shorts or the cookies. It may be about the cookies sometimes, but usually it's about attention and a sense of belonging and a misguided need to feel secure and whole and valued and known. And at some point, it says a young son came to himself. Out there in some pig farm, it says he came to his senses. And somehow, at some point, we all need to come to our own senses on our own, but we're not meant to figure it out alone. You see, that's when we get ourselves into trouble, when we feel alone when we isolate ourselves, when we turn away, when we allow our narratives and our identities to become misguided by others or our own insecurities. Dr. Anisha Abraham, she's a pediatrician at Children's National in D.C. She says this, a very normal part of adolescence is actually becoming more independent from parents and certainly having more time with one's peers. She continues, if you think about it, the COVID pandemic, it certainly has been a time where young people have missed that opportunity to perhaps connect, to not be in the usual extracurricular activities, or even at the same level in school. Kids have been turning to social media to stay connected, but both teens and experts agree that that is less than ideal. Even if people stay connected through social media, the ratio to how many people actually reach out to one another is extremely low. And the result is an increase in statistics regarding emergency room visits and eating disorders and suicide attempts and anxiety and depression. All of that has increased substantially for our children and our young people over the age of 12. And this, Selwyn, is a reality that is impacting our community and our young people and our parents and our grandparents and our neighbors and our friends. And even though we aren't always sure how to reach out or what to say about it, all the sadness and all the loneliness, maybe it's enough for any young person or any adult struggling to simply get up and start walking toward one another. 
Last Tuesday night, 13 eighth graders shared their faith statements with the session of our church after completing a year of confirmation classes. Each statement was thoughtful and honest. Each one was unique, and collectively they told a profound story of belonging and baptism. And so I need every young person in this community to pay attention. God's love and God's grace is so extravagant, no words are needed. God's love is so profound that you can trust with 100% accuracy that God's arms are open for you without judgment or blame or anger. God will recognize you. God will run toward you. God will embrace you. God will love and accept you. You will not be turned away by God or this church or this community. We've got your back because God knows you. God created you. God graced you. God created you not for what you have done or left undone. God has loved you not for your charming good looks, not for your athletics or for your academic excellence, not for how many friends you have, not for the shape of your body or for your gender or for who you love, not for what you have achieved, not for how good you are, but for who God created you to be. You are precious and important, not only to your parents or this church, but to God. Amen. Let us continue our worship in prayer. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of this day, for the gift to gather in this space and worship you. God, we trust and hope in the arrival of the spring season with the promise of new life in our midst. As we continue to reflect in this season of Lent, God, we look towards you the ways you are calling us to return, to renew, to recommit and reconnect. We are grateful that your love and steadfast kindness knows no bounds. And like the father of the prodigal son, God, you run towards us, arms out wide, welcoming us home with a feastful celebration. As we walk with Jesus and watch, we are mindful of those he was most near and those who rest on his heart. Hear our prayers, God, as we lift them to you. For our world, our fractured, hurting, and broken world, we pray mightily for your reconciliation and your freedom, that wars would cease, arms would be laid down, and that peace would cover the earth. God, we pray for those in our community who are overcome with issues of mental health. May they know how deeply loved and cherished they are. God, may you open our eyes ever wider to those struggling and grant us the courage to hold space, be vulnerable to sit with one another and be there for those who need us. For our leaders in this country, may they use their power for justice and freedom, not oppression and condemnation. 
We lift up our houseless neighbors who struggle to find stability and a warm place to call home. May we continue the hard work towards affordable housing and simply knowing one another more closely. God, the prayers are many, all those spoken and all those that rest on our hearts. May we all know and spread more of your love and grace and steadfast kindness. Hear all this we pray as we pray the words your son taught us saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God has abundantly blessed us and called us to be a community that honors one another, to serve others with joy and to share our love and our resources. During this time, we invite you to reflect on the ways God may be calling you to use your gifts and talents in this season. With gladness, let us present the offerings of our life and labor to God. <coughs> Thank you. 
let us dedicate our gifts to God using the prayer printed in your bulletin. O God, all that we have comes from you. Receive this offering, and with it the offering of our lives. We return to you only what you have graciously given. Use us for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. their deepest tranquilities, and may all that is unlived in you blossom into a future graced with love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> 